you would open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, I was reminded once again of the story as it gets told. I'm sorry, HG kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. I have my note right here. I was reminded again of the uh, story that I read about uh, Charles Spurgeon as he would mount the many stairs to his pulpit there in Metropolitan Temple in uh, London. At each step as he took, he said, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is it. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, I think preaching or anything to do with it would be pointless and in vain, would it not? And so that I rest assured in, no matter what, the Spirit is at work among us. I want to read, uh, we're going to look at verses 5 through 9, but I think I'm going to start at verse 1 of chapter 8. Just to kind of put a little more uh, in context for us. So I'll read verses 1 through verse 9 of Romans 8. And God's inspired and inerrant, insufficient word reads, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, and so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds or on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Father, I would just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And Lord, I confess, we confess that we often come to a particular text and It's hard not to read our own ideas or thoughts into it. And sometimes we come to a particular text and it's hard to get any meaning out of it at all. And we wonder, what's the point? And Lord, I don't believe either of those is the case this morning. And yet, Lord, this morning these verses, uh, just a couple, can be a bit challenging. They're straightforward. And that doesn't always make it easy. And so I do ask that the power of your Holy Spirit would illuminate this text for us and so that we can understand it and also apply it to our everyday life. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Two types of people. I've simply titled this, as is probably quite obvious by reading the text, two types of people. And last week I ended, if you recall, I ended with the example of two people that walked with God well. I left you with an example of of two people uh, and then also a question. Let's look at the two people first or the example of the two people. 
to people that walked well, which is our desire also, I do trust and I do hope. The first was in Enoch, found in Genesis chapter 5, and it just simply tells us, we don't know a lot about Enoch, though tradition and uh, some of the, the uh, extra biblical writings do have thumb, some things to say about Enoch, but, but nothing that we can necessarily take uh, as accurate other than knowing that Enoch pleased God. Enoch was a, is a man of God, obviously, because it says in Genesis 5 that God simply took him. He spared Enoch uh, death, the experience of dying. He didn't take Enoch because Enoch was perfect in any way, any more so than any other Christian can be. But for some reason, God chose to take Enoch somewhat as he did Elijah. There's only two people that we know in the biblical text that did not experience uh, death. The second person that I had highlighted last week was in Genesis chapter 6, and it was Noah. And we know a lot about Noah, right? We know much about Noah. And it simply tells us there in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, that Noah was a righteous man. He was a good man. Obviously, he was a believer. He was right in the things that he did. And he was blameless, not perfect, blameless. Notice what the text says, in his time, as blameless as a human can possibly be. And then it tells us simply that Noah walked with God. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what your epitaph would you would like it to say. I don't know what your tombstone would like to say. I don't know what your last thoughts or the last comment that's spoken over you would say. I will remind you again as I have brought it to my memory just now of, of, of Tozer, A.W. Tozer, Aiden Wilson Tozer, as he, as he died when he died. He was a man reading his books that had great influence on me at one particular point in my life. And Cheryl showed me his tombstone. His grave site was close to where we lived. I didn't even know it. And we went there, and all it simply said was, A.W. Tozer, a man of God. And I told Cheryl, that's what I want my stone to say. But I need something added to it. I need it to say, desired to be a man of God. I don't know that I can make such a bold statement as a man of God, but I desire to be a man of God. And I think that's what we get in essence with these couple verses here today. Or at least that's the thought that I want to leave you with if you check out right now and take nothing else with you. That it would be that. That you would desire to be a man or woman of God. And that you would desire to walk with God. To have your mind set on the spirit and not on the flesh. And that that would be your desire and that would be your passion. But Enoch and Noah, both are two men who were who are highlighted in our Bible and brought out as an example before us. And so I want to go to the New Testament also and look at them just briefly and kind of setting the stage for these couple verses here in Romans this morning. So if you would want to flip back, you can, or you can just listen to Hebrews chapter 11, of course, the hall of faith or the, the great faith chapter of our Bible. And there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it starts out with that. It tells us what faith is all about. And it says that now faith is the assurance, reading in the NASB, your translation may say something slightly different, but now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's the assurance that there is something out there that I have hope in, although I cannot see it. And then it goes down a couple verses. In verse 5, we come up to Enoch, and we see Enoch's name on the plaque, if you will, on our script of the text here. In verse 5, 
It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was what? He was pleasing to God. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe. Must believe that he is, that God is, and that God, that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. <laughs> There is some faith that is involved there and some hope that is there that not only is God a God who, who is, that God is literally there, that there is such a person as a thing as our creator God. And not only that, but this God who created all things, not only is God present, not only is God there, not only does God exist, but God rewards those who please him. That God rewards those who walk according to to his counsel. Look at verse 6. In verse 6 it says, and without I'm, I'm sorry, verse 7. Verse 7 of Hebrews 11. By faith Noah. Here's our second character. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world because became an heir to the righteous who are according to to the faith. Now, what do we see in these two examples in just these couple verses here this morning? We see here uh, multiple times it says that uh, they pleased God. Both of these men pleased God. They pleased God by how they lived their life. They pleased God how they walked. How they walked is just how they conducted their life, right? That's the walk. That's what's meant when you see walk. It's just how do we conduct our life? They conducted their life in a way that was pleasing to God. We don't know every single detail, but what we do know is sufficient. We see that in verse 6, that for everyone who believes, we see Enoch was a believer. He believed God, and not did he just not believe God. How do you know about God? How does a person come to know God? There are times where people, we hear stories about how people have senses or, or, or different types of, of visions, whatever they may be. But without being told that sense or that vision, I do not think, will take effect in a person's life. They must know. They must point out, as Paul even did, hey, let me point out to you the God who you say you don't know about but you know exists. Let me point him out to you. Well, here they believed God. Enoch believed God, and he believed and took him at his word. And we, too, must take him at his word. We can only please God by taking God at his, at his word. The second thing that we, we see here, uh, and that is by uh, Noah, that Noah also took God at his word, being warned. He believed God. It hadn't even rained yet in these days. And yet he was told that there was going to be this great flood that was going to flood the earth and destroy all of life, and yet it never rained. If I remember correctly, I think it took Noah about 120, 120 years or something. If I'm incorrect, holler it out. Something like that, I think. A long time to build the ark. And all this time, he's having all the naysayers telling him he's crazy. He's nuts. And yet he took God at his word. And it tells here in, in, in my text anyways, it uses the word reverence. 
In reverence, Noah prepared the ark. Well, in reverence is what? It is to be concerned about a matter. It is to take something serious. Often we think of reverence as a spirit of holiness, and there was certainly an awe, a fearful awe of the holiness of God here. He took God at his word, and he was concerned. He he, He did it in a way of great importance. And because of that, he saved his whole family from the flood, from the flood. And so when we think about faith, when we think about uh, uh, trusting uh, in the flesh or trusting in the spirit, if you want to flip back to uh, Romans 8 now here today, if we think about those two things with what I just set up there, everything must start with faith, right? I mean, without faith, everything is impossible. It's impossible to please God. And to have faith in God and to believe God, we must take God at his word, which is only revealed in the Holy Scriptures. That is the only way that we hear from God is through the Spirit illuminating the Holy Scriptures, the Scriptures on our behalf. And that's what we see, these two men. That's what they believed. And that's what they took by faith. And that's how they walked with God. And they were found pleasing to God. And that's your desire, I do trust, this morning. I know it is mine also. Uh, this morning is to be pleasing to God. See, the whole purpose of life, the whole purpose of life is not to fulfill self, right? But it's to please God. The whole purpose of life is to please God, not self. You find it interesting that in the Ten Commandments, the fifth of the Ten Commandments, or the fifth commandment of the ten, right in the center, is to honor and obey parents. We're to honor and obey parents. I wonder why that is. I'm not 100% sure other than we're commanded to. And obviously, we can say from the humanity's perspective, uh, we should certainly honor and obey our parents. But Paul adds a little something else to it in Colossians where he says this. He says, children, be obedient to your parents. Why? Because your parents take care of you. Because your parents provide for you. Because your parents gave birth to you. Because your parents love you. That's not what Paul says. Hopefully all that is true. But Paul says, because that is well-pleasing to the Lord. It is well-pleasing to the Lord to be obedient to our parents. Why? Well, if for no other reason other than God commands us to. It is that simple. If we want to please God, we do so by obeying God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says that, therefore, we also have Make it our ambition or have it as our ambition, whether at home, listen, whether at home or absent, whether at home or outside the home, whether at home in, in, in Crisfield, Maryland, Westover, wherever you live, whether at home there or if you're in another state or another country, to be pleasing to him, to act the way we act the way as we act at home. Did that make sense? Maybe not. Let me rephrase that to act the way as we're pleasing and worshiping and follow God away from home just as we do when we're at home, right? Okay, I'm going to go away on a vacation, or Brad and I are going to, Brad will keep me straight next week. Uh, So good, that's why I'm bringing him along, um, so I can act the way, never mind, scrap all that. Um, But we get that. But I also wonder sometimes is, do we act the way out there as we act in church, Right? I mean, we know you all came in, you filed in, you're so orderly, you all look great. 
And y'all look really good. And, and you came here, and you got your church face on. You got your Bible. You got your journal. You got a nice journal. And if you got the right writing utensil <laughs> instrument, it's going to be a nice fountain pen. You can take notes, highlight things. But then when we leave, what happens? How do we function out there, right? And that's not actually, that's just, that's just putting things point blank, just putting things basically out there. Sometimes we don't do that way. And, God's, and, and, and Paul is here telling the, the church in Corinth, a struggling community, a, a fledgling community that was, was trying to follow God, and yet they just like us, they have all their problems. He says, listen, act at home. Act outside the home the way you act at home. It's been said if you want to know what a preacher is really like, then just see what he's like in his home. Please don't. Um, Cheryl would probably tell you at times I don't act quite as nice as I do at church, and maybe you're there too. But if we want to be pleasing to God, we must follow. We must believe. It doesn't mean we get it right. It doesn't mean that we get it perfect, but we certainly must first determine and decide that we are indeed going to take God at his word and follow and believe the best of our ability. So if you would look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5. I have just a little outline there for you. I don't have no cross-references, so if you got that pen handy, you might want them down because I didn't think I was going to have any cross-references, but I was silly me thinking I wouldn't. Um, So I have some for you. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, I've simply got the heading there as two distinctions. There's only two distinctions when it comes to all types of people or two types or or, or classes of people. There's only two. Look at verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on the flesh, things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Those who are according to the Spirit set their minds. We can do the same thing there. Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So there's only two types of people. There's two distinctions. That's it. Those who set their mind on the flesh, carnal, the world, culture, other things. And then those who set their mind on on the spirit that's it those who focus upon god and then those who do not there is not any other type of person i want to look at to give you a demonstration of these uh two types or an example of these two types of folks i want to look at galatians chapter 5 one that you're very familiar with this already it's the fruit of the spirit And we often will cite the fruit of the Spirit. But I want to actually go back because it's also showing uh, the fruit of the Spirit and also the the fruit, if you will, of the flesh. And so in Galatians chapter 5 at verse 19, we are told there that the deeds of the flesh, right? The deeds of the flesh, this is what they are. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, uh, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice, practice should be circled in your Bibles, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we're not perfect, but if we have, make it a practice of following these things, Paul is telling the church at Galatia here that you are of the flesh. Now, look look at the fruit of the Spirit. This is those who follow the Spirit. The mind is set on the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. For now, those who belong to Christ 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now listen, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We can cite the fruit of the Spirit in the ways, but Paul finishes with what you say and what you believe must match with your actions in how you live your life. There was a time, and I don't know, I don't hear much language now because I guess we've probably really gotten away from the King James Version, or not everybody maybe, but for the most part. But there's a word that we would often hear, and that's carnal. It's just another word for the flesh, for flesh, and it was carnal. And there was also this idea that there's really three classes or types of people. There are those who follow the flesh, those who follow the spirit, those who follow Christ, and those who don't follow the Christ. And then there's the carnal, right? And that's what we call those who had made a profession of faith, maybe, or they've come to church, or they seem to be religious, but they're not living in such a way. And so we called them carnal Christians. Well, no, that's just an unbeliever. There's only two classes of people. There is nothing like a carnal Christian. We get that here in our text here, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In fact, I just might, might turn there really quick. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we, we got plenty of time this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. It, it's a great place, and if you have the King James Version, you will see there that it will say carnal. But it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh. And if you got the King James right there, it's going to say men of the flesh. It's going to say carnal as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly or carnal. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not fleshly. You are not carnal. Are you not carnal? And are you also not walking like men? And so Paul is saying here that, look, the way that you're acting, you're acting as though you are still carnal. You're acting as though you are in the flesh. Paul isn't saying that you are. We must understand he is calling them infants in Christ. And as new, new believers in Christ, it, it can take a while sometimes, right, to separate the flesh, if you will, from the things of the Spirit. There is a process that is there. And that's what we see in every true believer. There is a process. Not perfection, but a process. And I can't gauge other believers on myself or other believers with other believers. People take this journey. And God takes them on this journey on a particular path of their own. But carnal. Carnal here is uh, flesh. Uh, flesh. Uh, Cheryl never likes that word. She's got to use a different word than flesh. She never likes that. So I tried to... Uh, Try to use meat instead, and she didn't like that either. Um, so I'm not sure, maybe burger. But, yeah, so, but, but, but literally, flesh is meat. That's what it is. And, and when we think about following the flesh or living according to the flesh, it's living as meat, is a, a carnivore, right? It's animalistic. It's living like the animals. <laughs> I mean, it's literally conducting your life. How does an animal conduct its life? Depends. Are we talking about a grizzly bear? Are we talking about a black bear? They're quite two different animals, so that's for, that's for sure. Are we talking about uh, 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 Cheryl's dog who thinks it runs my life? Uh, are we talking about the birds? Right? You get it. But, but what, what's the point? The point is that animals act the way animals act. And how do animals act? However they want. Right? 
I mean, they think about them and themselves only. And that's what we must understand when we think about fleshly, when we think about following the world. It's, it's desiring self. Am I hungry? Am I tired? Right as an animal would think, do I want to go here? Do I want to go there? And the fleshly person, the carnal person, will have their mind set on themselves and themselves alone. You see in verse 5 it says, set their minds on. That's just a, that's just a, uh, um, it could also be thought of as a way to set your mind on self. It's one word. And it could also be that, that I'm going to take the side of someone. That may be another way that it would be said. And so in this sense, to take the side of someone would be to take the side of your carnal flesh or yourself, right? So you can either set your mind on yourself or, in verse 5, set your mind on the spirit. Those are the two options. To set the mind on the flesh, to set the mind on the carnal, to set the mind on my wishes and my desires is in essence to dismiss God and choose self. It is that simple. To say, God, I know what's best in my life. So those are the two distinctions everyone finds themselves in. Either we're following or, or our mind is set on the flesh and we walk according to the flesh or we walk according to the spirit. There is no other way. There is no third way. I might stop here just for a moment and pause and catch my breath and say this. Uh, there are Christians who are Christians and know they're Christians, right? And, and there are those who, who are sinners or unbelievers, and they know they're unbelievers. And then we get into the middle here. And, and that is that there are those who, who, who are not Christian or they don't think they are, but yet they actually, actually are. Have you ever talked with somebody and they just wrestle with their faith over and over and over? And you try to assure them, no. The whole reason you're wrestling and desiring and seeking and falling is because you are indeed a believer. And they just can't grasp it. That is a person that is not set totally free, but that is indeed a person that is set totally free in Christ. They just haven't experienced the freedom yet. And then there's the other person who says, I'm Christian, but nothing in their life matches Christianity. And all they ever claim is, I'm a Christian, and they live however they want. That person is indeed not a Christian. There's only two. Either you're a Christian or you're not. There are no middle ground. There's only two distinctions, in Christ or outside of Christ. Verse 6 also tells us that there are only two destinations. Two destinations in verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life. And just reiterates that and says, and peace. Life and peace. Same thing. Life and peace. So the mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the spirit is life. We've already been through this. If you want to flip back maybe about a page, as I do in my Bible, to chapter 6 of Romans. You will see there in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, it says that, do you not know, again, here are one of Paul's famous questions, which he's obviously saying, you obviously know this. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are indeed slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in life. We see our two, our two distinctions, our two destinations there. 
Also in the same chapter at verse 21, Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? There was a time you lived according to your flesh, and the reason we live according to our flesh and we fall into sin and temptations is because, let's just be honest, right? Uh, uh, Youngsters, close your ears, but it's fun. We, our flesh enjoys living like the flesh, but there comes a point in time where God saves us and we become embarrassed and ashamed of those things that we did. In verse 21, it says, For the outcome of those things that you enjoyed, that you're now ashamed of, the outcome of those things is death. Look at verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If we come to Romans chapter 8, our chapter, verse 13, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if according to the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, and what? And you will live. There are two destinations of those who follow the Spirit, life. Those who follow the flesh, death. It cannot be more clear. There are only two types of people. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it's a verse that I really love. In fact, I copied it down here in my notes in the NLT because, as you know, I'm a fan of the NLT, especially, mostly for devotional reading. I go from two extreme, from one would call it a very wooden vision of the, a version of the NESB to one that's very fluid, if you will. But I love the NLT, and especially how it says, uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Today, I have given you the choice. I have given you the choice between life and death. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you have made. Who's what? Heaven and earth to witness to the choice that you have made. Which is it? Oh, the author writes, oh, that you would choose life so that you might live. The choice is before each and every person. We can choose life, we can choose to follow the flesh, or we can choose to follow the spirit. The choice is before each and every person. And I trust you have made that choice. And if you've chosen to follow the flesh, I would ask you to reconsider that decision. But every single one of us has made that choice this morning. We're either following and our minds are set on the flesh, my human sinful desires, or my mind is set on following God, walking with God. Those are the two choices. That's it. Two distinctions in Christ, outside of Christ. Two destinations, life with Christ or life outside of Christ. Let us now close here with two dispositions. Two dispositions in verses 7 through 9a. Because the mind, here's because he's going to give you the why. As every good sermon should have a why or a so what to it, so do our text here today. Here's the why, because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It cannot said be any lighter than this. It must be said this Strongly, there are no neutral dispositions. There is only a disposition of of the flesh or of, of the spirit. Every single person has a disposition to either hate God or love God. 
Now, those are strong, especially the hate. We don't like to equate that. We don't like to pit those against each other. We don't like to conflate those two terms, but that's exactly what the disposition, that's exactly what we're saying. We either hate God or we love God. There is no neutral position. And so the two characteristics of a person who has a disposition against God, because that's what 7 and 8 are telling us. In 7 and 8, look at verse 7 where it says, because the mind that is set on the flesh, and again, I already went through that, but I want to remind you of that again. The mind that is set on the flesh, you just keep thinking about. It's just the side that you have taken. You've taken the side of the flesh. The mind set on the flesh is what? Is hostile toward God. Hostile is just a strong sense of a deep will against something. It's hostile. You understand what that word means. There's nothing neutral about that term. In fact, I was reminded of um, this morning, and so I put a marker in my Bible. Just our, our, our little, we'd like to read a psalm before our prayer time on Wednesday nights. And, and this week, it was Psalm 14. And I was reminded of the words there, that psalm, where it says there in Psalm 14 that the fool has said that there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one uh, the deed that be like they don't they don't act wisely. The, the Lord has spoken, has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone there who understands. Verse three. They have all turned aside; together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Everyone's default position. Everyone starts out life hostile toward God. That is the human disposition that we are. That is what he's telling us here. Those are strong, and yet James 4.4 tells us this. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Now, what we must understand, it's against the world, the things of the world, the sensuality of the world, what the world is selling, if you will, not the people, right? We're friends with the people. We must be friends with the people, but it's, it's against, if we, if, we, if we align with the culture of the world, that's hostility toward God. Not the people of the culture, but the culture. That's the disposition of, first characteristic of disposition of those who hate God. They're hostile toward God. The, the second would be the disposition of arrogance or, or pride you may want to want to put in there and look back at, at verse 7 where he says he continues on and, and the mind is hostile toward God for it does not what? Here it is. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's the arrogance coming through. It's the pride coming through that I will not subject myself to a book written 2,000 years ago or more, right? It, it's an idea that, that I know better. I have now been enlightened and I know what the text says. You know, I, I think about this sometimes. Sometimes we, 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 we um, have difference of opinion in how we interpret the Bible. And, and there's really two main ways. Either the Bible is a book that I can take as a guide for my life, is good practical teachings, and I can use it as a model. to be a very liberal perspective. I can use it as a model to govern my life, but I don't take it too literally. And then there's the other side, the correct way, and that is the side where no doesn't mean we understand every jot and tittle and every dot. But we believe the Bible is authoritative and that it is accurate and that it is inspired and that it is inerrant and that it will not lead us astray. Those are the only, the only two options. But there's a disposition of arrogance. 
that comes with a person who has their mind set on the flesh, and that is a person who says, I know best. I know better. I know God does not. And this would be a great time to go back to Adam and Eve, but I will refrain from doing so. So to subject, that's just to, well, we know what that means. It's just to submit to somebody, submit to some type of authority. And human nature just fights against that. I know I have a, I have a spirit within me at times that, or I shouldn't say spirit, I don't mean that way. But, I mean, it can just be, authority can be an issue, right? I mean, it just depends upon maybe some of the things, that the baggage that you bring with you. And that, that, that can be there for some people, but we have this against God, and maybe we can even get that towards God because we have these expectations that we placed upon God. That God, you just didn't meet. You didn't show up when I needed you. And there becomes this issue within us that we have a hard time then to subject to that. And so I do want to acknowledge that this morning, that, that maybe that's where you are. And I would certainly uh, want to go easy on this point. If that's where you are, continue to wrestle and question. That's okay. But there's also those at times that can be a form of godliness. Timothy was warned about this by Paul as Paul was turning over uh, his ministry to him. And he said, watch out for those in, first, in 2 Timothy 3. I think 2 Timothy 3, maybe 5, maybe 5. Anyways, where he tells Paul that there's a form of godliness. He gives a list of people. He says there's a form of godliness, but it's not sincere. Jesus warns of these people where he talks about those who, who wash the outside of the cup. They put on their shiny church clothes, but inside it's not clean. They got whitewashed tombs this the stones are beautiful. We, we, Cheryl and I, we like to walk the dog up to the little cemetery up there. It's actually a pretty big one, and, man, they're decorated nice, and we like to read what's on them, and we're often reminded, you know, what's there? What's underneath the ground? Somebody's loved one, right? But yet, what's under the ground? Just back to dust and ashes. And Jesus says, you need to care about what's on the, the inside as much as you care about what's on the outside. There can be a disposition putting forth an image, a facade that is a form of godliness, but it isn't, it isn't there. There's a disposition of hostility and arrogance, and it ultimately leads into an impossibility or even a desire to please God. Right, we see it in verses 7 and 8. We're just going to leave it there for this morning. We'll pick it up again next week. But, but we see it there, that they're not even able they, they cannot even please God, and cannot is they may not. May not's a choice. They cannot. They have, it is impossible for them even to please God. And we can certainly be reminded of Romans chapter 1 where God gives such a person over, gives such an over. But that's why I wouldn't include nine or at least the first half today because Paul doesn't stop there. He has this huge however, however you, Verse 9, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Paul is saying, this, however, is not you. I ended last Sunday with a question of verse 4. Remember what the question was in verse 4? So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In most of us, I would trust, would say, yes, I'm included in the us. And I ask the question, why are you included in the us? Well, we have our answer here, and we'll flush it out a little more uh, next week. But I just want to 
Look at 2 Corinthians, just really quick, where it says to test yourself, to see if you're in the faith, Paul says. Galatians 4, each one of you must examine his own work. In Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms, it ends with, search me, O God, and know me. Try me. Search my anxious heart and my anxious mind. Why? To see, Lord, if there's anything wicked within me, if there's anything in me that will lead me astray. We must go through these periods and these times of these times of examination to make sure that we indeed are included in the us. Listen, we examine roadmaps as Brad and I take a road trip. Uh, I'll do the driving, by the way. Uh, I, I'll follow the map. So we'll, we'll examine the map from time to time, right? You may examine your health from time to time, have a checkup. You may from time to time, maybe at the beginning of the year, you may examine your portfolio. You may examine your retirement accounts. Do I need to make some adjustments there? You may have a business plan that you may examine from time to time. You may have a marriage. Uh, uh, Cheryl, we need to do this again. We need to examine our marriage and make sure we're on track. No. Make sure we're on track. Same thing must be said of our faith. We must examine our faith from time to time and make sure God, Am I still walking according to your spirit? Am I still leading a life that is pleasing to you? And this is where we're going to go next week, to do that. Walk a life that is pleasing to God is only possible by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's where we're going to go next week. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the way that Lord, that you speak and minister to each and every one of us. I do pray, Lord, that as we wrestle through life from time to time, that you don't leave us floundering, that you don't, that you don't, that you don't just leave us hanging, but that you meet us right where we are. If we humble ourselves and we come before you and we subject ourselves to you knowing that your word is true, your word is accurate, your word is meant for what's best for me, even at times when I struggle to understand its meaning. And so, Lord, I do pray that as we think about our heart, we think about our life, we think about the us, am I in the us? Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning that clearly says, I am not, that, Lord, that they would not leave this morning until they're included in the us. And for those who are in the us, I pray, Lord, that we will never cease to examine our life, to tweak it, to make adjustments as needed, to walk a walk, to walk a life, to live a life that is pleasing to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.